Grace came. We're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 10 down to 18. And I've entitled it Grace Came. Um, The wonderful thing about Christianity is that our God is not a God out there, but a God who came to our world, who came to us. And if you've received him, he's come to live inside you and he will never depart from you. Grace came. That's what I want to emphasize this morning. And in this passage, John begins to say that Jesus came to this world. The way he puts it is this. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Now that's quite extraordinary when you think of it. God, who is so great that he created not only this world and this solar system and the the galaxy to which we belong, but the universe and is greater than all those things, came to this world, which must in comparison be like a speck of dust in the universe. He came into this world and the world did not know him. Now, when you read the Bible, it's very clear that God teaches that the world itself is a witness to him. The world is a testimony to God's existence and even his presence with us. Let's look at what Paul says in uh, his epistle to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. That means to hold down the truth in unrighteousness, to try to keep the truth from coming out, keep a lid on it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. What What an incredible passage that is says that God has clearly made himself known in creation. We can see the invisible attributes of God when we look around us. We see his majesty. We see his power. We see his omnipotence. We see his goodness and his grace and his love towards this planet and to us who live here. And yet man has tried to suppress that truth try to keep it from getting out. In fact, in Paul's days, he said, many of them, the only way they can account for it is to create a God out of wood and stone and metal and then bow down to that, the God that they created and fashioned with their own hands as if, and giving that the glory and the credit for this world in which we live in. How foolish that is. How foolish that is. Uh, You know, People try today, you know, you sort of fast track from Paul's time to today's time, go forward 2,000 years. And uh, 
even though we still do have many religions and pagan gods and so on, the Western world has tried to deny the existence of God by, by coming up with clever arguments and trying to reason him out of existence. That's the world we live in. And yet, again, you look around and, and the testimony is overwhelming. The whole argument of cause and effect. We have an effect here, a, a universe. Where did it come from? How did it come here? And when you look at it, it's not an accident. It's, it's full of design. So much, every, everything you turn to, the design, design, design. There must be a designer. This could not be an accident. You know, it, it just is so obvious to the mind that is truly open. And uh, then, of course, you, you look and you see uh, tremendous faithfulness and constancy in everything. Reliability in, in this creation. You know, nothing is more reliable than the rise and set of sun. It's never failed, never failed. Nothing is more reliable than the ebb and flow of tide. And, and we see that and we see God's providence. You know, the, the psalmist says that he, he opens his hand daily and feeds every living thing. I, I marvel at that. Ever since world began, whether you're talking, whether you believe in thousands or billions, I don't care. Since world began, God has fed this creation. Everything that swims in the rivers and the seas, everything that flies through the air, every animal that walks upon the land and every human being. We, we know there's starvation, but, but there's plenty. It's not because there's not available food. It's because of things like greed and corruption and wars that prevent that food getting to the people. God has always provided. He's a good God. And, uh, you know, Max Licardo said a wonderful thing. He said, nature is God's first missionary. I like that. Nature is God's first missionary. God is speaking to us through the creation, the world that we live in, and, and, and giving enough evidence and proof of his existence. You know, we know that um, uh, people call it mother nature. What an extraordinary statement that is, mother nature. Uh, and then, of course, this mother nature is impersonal. <laughs> it's not a being. Uh, well, I believe in sister nature because I believe that nature is created by God just the same as I am created by God and you are created by God. Therefore, nature must be my sister. Amen? Because we have the same Father. It's all come from his, his good hand. Go back then from Paul a thousand years to the time of David and he said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world wow how true that is David just looked around. I don't know whether it was David that wrote this psalm. It might not have been. But the psalmist looked around and said, look at it. The whole world is screaming at us about the love and the power and the goodness and the presence of God with us in this world. Of course, our generation has got even more scientific proof. We know so many more things about creation. For example, um, we know the fact that uh, the, the rotation of the earth is at the, the right speed. 
If it was one-tenth <clears throat> of the speed that it is, that would mean that our days would be ten times longer and, and vegetation would burn up. It would have so much sunlight that it would just be cooked, basically. And, and if it survived the day, it wouldn't survive the, the cold of the night that went on for so long, ten times longer than what we experience now. We know that the earth is the right distance from the sun. So that it's not roasted and it's not, we're not frozen either. It's just at the right distance. We know the earth is the right size. If it was the size of the moon, the gravitational force would be one-sixth of what it was and what it is, and it would not be able to contain a whole atmosphere and water. And, and we could go on, you know, look at the air that we breathe. It's the right combination of nitrogen and oxygen so that we are not killed or poisoned, but we, we can breathe it in and we, we, you know, we, we live by that atmosphere, that air. And we could go on and on. And, and the more you look at what science has discovered, the more you say there are so many coincidences, there's no more room for coincidence. God is here. God has entered this world. God has come to us by his grace. And, and yet the world did not know him. The world did not know him. What an extraordinary thing that is. I find that absolutely extraordinary. But then he goes on to say, he came unto his own, which is the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and his own did not receive him. The world did not know him. His own did not receive him. It's not said that of his own that they did not know him. They knew him, but they did not receive him. Why did they not receive him? How did they know him? Well, we know um, the things that I've been talking about, God's, God's revelation to us through creation. The, the, uh, the theologians call that general revelation. God has generally revealed himself through creation. But when we come to the word of God, and when we come to Jesus coming to the world in the flesh, they call that special revelation. And the Jews had special revelation. God came to them out of all the nations, took them out of bondage in Egypt, out of slavery, miraculously delivered them, took them across the desert, met with Moses in the mount, gave them his word. The oracles of God, Paul says, were delivered unto them. Gave them his word, spoke to them the very word of God, and they've held that word all these centuries. Brought them into the promised land, gave them the land that he promised them forgave them time after time after time, their sins and their rebellion and so on, and just continued to bless them. And even when they went into captivity, he faithfully brought them back to their land. And, and God has spoken to them. And, and the main thing he's spoken to them about is that he would send the Messiah. He would send Jesus. So many prophecies that spoke of his coming. And, and when Jesus came, when he came, and revealed his glory and did all those miracles. The Bible says they received him not. So the world is charged with ignorance, but Israel with unbelief. Does that stop God coming to this world? No. He goes on to say, but as many as received him, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But as many as received him, he comes. He comes, he presents himself, and he, he reaches out 
for us to receive. He won't force himself upon us. He won't violate our will, superimpose himself on us. He comes to us and offers himself to us. And we receive him how? By believing. Goes as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. That's how simple it is to have God come and live inside us, just to believe on him. Notice it says that we receive by believing, not belief, but believing. Not a mental assent to the existence of God, the verb to believe is used many times. We've already seen that, I think, in the first session. The verb to believe, that we believe in him. But the noun form for belief or faith is conspicuous, conspicuously absent because it's not a mental ascent. Belief is not a doctrine that we know or argue about, but a person we trust in. Who's over-arguing? <laughs> <laughs> Who's over arguing about even the Bible and God and religion? To me, it's not important. What, you know, if you don't agree with me, that's fine. <laughs> Have a nice life, you know. But he is a person I've trusted my whole life to. I believe in him. Same with you. You trust in him. You believe in him. And the Bible says that in doing that, we become children of God. Not only forgiven, not only made righteous, but incorporated into his family as his own dear children now. What a blessing that is. Now the phrase, as many as received him. Just think about that. As many as received him. It's equivalent to the pronoun whoever. Whoever. Or the King James puts it, whosoever. We love that word. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That word, whoever flings open the door of salvation to all. It's not one nation. Amen. It's whoever will to the Lord may come. Anybody, anywhere, everybody, everywhere, whoever, tell it to the world. Because God is reaching out. God is coming to the world through us, through scripture, throughout scripture rather, until the very end of Revelation. This as many as or whoever, whosoever attitude reflects the Father's heart towards fallen humanity. God is ever, forever reaching out. People can stumble over terms like election and chosen, but friends, get your focus on this. Whoever, whosoever, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him. And right up to the last chapter, we see that word. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who takes, uh, who thirsts rather, come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Whoever, whoever. That's the heart of God. God is coming to the world to every single human being living on this planet, reaching out with the gospel. So how did Christ come? Well, here we have what we know, of course, the, the incarnation or the virgin birth, the word, the word, the word that created this world in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God. The word was God. All things were made by him. We've already seen that. And this word that was in the beginning that 
is God and is with God and brought everything into existence. This word became flesh. Just think about that for a moment. Charles Wesley, I love the way he put it in one of his hymns. He said, God was contracted to a span, a little baby. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, we talk about a dilemma here. God, the Godhead had, had a dilemma, had a problem. Can you, can you just compute that for a moment? The Godhead had a problem. The problem was this, God is holy. We looked at this yesterday in our Q&A, that God can only respond to sin in one, one way, and that is death. He's a holy God. He cannot countenance sin in any way, shape, or form. If he did that, he would deny himself, deny who he is, a holy God. And yet his love, this creation that he brought into existence, he loves us. He, you know, he gave us that incredible honor of creating us in his own image, that we might be his offspring here on earth. And he loves us. And yet the whole of creation turned against him in rebellion, shaking their fist in his face. How could he solve that? This is how we solved it. It's the only way he could solve it. In order to, um, let's read that, the dilemma of how God could react in both righteousness regarding sin and love towards the sinner could only be solved through two things. The incarnation, the word had to become flesh, and then the atonement. The Son of God who became the Son of Man had to go to the cross and take the wrath of God for our sin upon himself. Incredible. This is the one thing, you know, if you look at something over and over again, eventually you get bored. I never get bored with this. The old, old story, it is ever new. Amen. I used to sing a hymn. I don't know if any of you remember that. The old, old story, it is ever new. And it is. You, I never tire of this because the more I ponder it, you know, you go deeper, you plumb the depths of the love of God and, and it's just overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. Our salvation then requires not only Calvary, but also Bethlehem. The Word had to become flesh. We cannot separate what Jesus did from who he is unless he was fully God. He could not save the whole world. His death would be, if he was just a human, one, one, one person dying for one person. But because he's God, manifest in the flesh, he had to be man. A man dying for humanity in our place. So unless he was fully God and fully man, he could not have saved us. The Word became flesh. In fact, you know, he was more human than Adam, more like us than Adam. In this respect, that when God created Adam, he created a full-grown adult. Amen? Adam, I don't know, mate, what, 30 years of age, equivalent, whatever. I don't know. Who knows? But when Jesus came, he came like we came into this world as a baby. And the Bible says he grew in, how, what is it the Bible says? He grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and in favor with man. So he developed 
in all the areas that you and I develop. In wisdom intellectually, in stature physically, in favour with God spiritually, and in favour with man socially. Developed in all those areas. More, more of a man in that sense than even Adam was. And he had a body like ours and a nature like ours, except one thing. He never sinned. He never sinned. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him there was no sin, the Bible says. Isn't that amazing? But a nature and a body like ours. Some of you might be getting hungry now. He was hungry. He was hungry. In fact, he... He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says the obvious after that. Afterwards, it says he was hungry. <laughs> he, his body craved food like yours did. He, he, he was thirsty at times and he, he needed to drink. He was tired and he needed to rest. Just like you and I do. He slept because he needed to sleep. He had the same emotions that we feel for humanity. The Bible says he had compassion. He knew compassion upon those that were suffering. Like we feel sorry. He felt that. He felt sorrow as he looked over uh, you know, the, the city of Jerusalem and knew where they were heading. The Bible says, oh, he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I would have gathered you. I came to you. I wanted to gather you, but you would not. He knew agony in the garden as he faced the cross and he knew everything that he had to endure. He knew agony. He wept at the tomb of, of, of Lazarus as he saw others just so grief-stricken at the death of Lazarus. And we could go on and on. And the Bible says this, he was in all points, all points tempted as we are. He went through every kind of trial, not every specific temptation and trial, but every kind of trial and temptation that, that you and I go through. I've shared this before, a few decades ago in, in the UK, the, um, the egg industry, I don't know what you call that, the poultry industry, I suppose, uh, they, 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 were, they were losing millions of dollars every year through broken eggshells. And they didn't know where the, the, the eggs were, were, were getting broken, you know, from the time they, they left the farms to the time they arrived in the supermarkets. And so what they did is they created this, this electronic egg. And they put it in the tray with the rest of the eggs so that it would go the whole journey from farm to supermarket shelf. And every time it received a jolt, severe enough to crack an eggshell, it would light up and send a signal. It cost about $6 million to create this thing, but it saved them millions and millions of dollars. But you know, in a similar way, that's what God did. You know, we can never say to God, you don't understand. Because he came and he went through the journey of human life from cradle to the cross, he went through every kind of suffering, every kind of trial that you and I went through so that he can know and he can identify with us. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or tried as we are. So he does know. 
He's a faithful high priest who can minister to us. Now look at this. He says, the word became flesh. Remember the, the emphasis here that John is trying to give us. We saw that last time. The word expresses the mind of God and brings it into being. Whatever God is thinking, the word gives existence or fulfillment to that which is in the mind of God. So the word became flesh. Why? So that we could see God on planet Earth. And, and so, you know, John chooses seven distinct miracles. There were so many things that Jesus did. In fact, John says at the end, he did so many other things. The world itself could not contain the books that could be written about what he did. But he chose seven miracles to display the glory of God in his son, Jesus, the word who became flesh. And, and, and each time we see it's the word that brings the mind and the heart of God into existence or into fulfillment. For example, the first miracle he did is in the next chapter, John chapter 2, when Jesus turned the water into wine. And, and Mary came to her, to her son and said, they've run out of wine. You remember what he said? What's that got to do with me? My time has not come. In other words, now I don't do what you or anyone else tells me to do. I only do what my father tells me. Okay, think about that for a moment because I'm, I'm leading somewhere with this. And then it obviously was the father's will that he do a miracle there. And Mary said, whatever he says to you, do it. So he said, go and fill the water pots. And they filled them up with water. And then he said, go and pour to the, the governor and to the guests. And as they went and poured, the water was turned into wine. And you know the story. Well, not the story. You know the, the account. It was the best wine. It was the best wine. They usually say the, you know, the, the, the best wine first and then bring out the inferior. But this was better than anything they'd drunk before. Amazing. Because he said, he said, pour the water. The word became flesh. The Father heart of God ministering to these people in their moment of need was, was made manifest through the word that was spoken. The next miracle was when the nobleman came from one town to another where Jesus was because his son was sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, go your way, your son lives. The word again showed the father heart of God feeling for that father and that family and that son that was sick and bringing healing and wholeness into that situation. The next miracle was when Jesus uh, saw the man that was lame at the well of uh, the, the pool of Bethesda. And, and he'd been lame for 38 years. And listen to this, Jesus went to that man. That man, not to all of them. He didn't raise them all. That man and said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, why am I saying this, that only that man? Because here's the thing, a lot of people take this thing of you've just got to speak the word and you can have anything you want. Jesus didn't live like that. Jesus didn't operate like that. Jesus only did that which was in his father's heart. That which the father told him to do is what he did. Amen? We're not here with all this power that we can do anything we want. If you only confess it loud enough and long enough and hard enough, you can have it. No, no. 
we do what the Father tells us to do. Amen. And the next miracle shows up another thing because people say, if only you have faith, you can receive. Isn't that right? You know the next miracle? <laughs> Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> Lazarus, the word, come forth. Tell me, how much faith did Lazarus have when he was a dead man, <laughs> a corpse? <laughs> Zilch. Amen. But Jesus did what his father told him to do and he brought forth this. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. He was in sync with his father. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We saw the glory of God. We saw the sovereignty of God. Amen. And of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. Now, this just follows on naturally for me. Grace for grace literally means grace in the place of grace. See, friends, God is not going to do a miracle for us every time just because we confess it, just because we name it and claim it. Amen? Sometimes he will. And many of us can testify to that. Praise God. Healings, deliverances, provisions, uh, and many other things, many other miracles. But sometimes he doesn't take us out. He gives us grace to go through. Why? Because we grow in grace. We grow by the grace of God. We become more dependent upon God. We learn to depend upon God and, and learn to receive grace from him and learn that his grace is always sufficient for us. Now, the meaning of this term is this, grace for grace. It means, if you can imagine a vessel, and, and at the very bottom of the vessel, there is a, there is a spout where, where this is coming out, okay? So when you need grace, you're in a situation, you know, grace is his ability in the place of my inability, amen? So that I can always say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I call upon his grace. Lord, I can't, you never said I can, but you can. You always said you would. So Lord, give me grace for this situation. And, and grace flows out of us. But as it flows out, as soon as it flows out, it is filled up. There's another inlet of grace coming in. So it's never depleted. You can never say I'm running on empty or I'm only half full. Because as soon as we expend this grace, more grace comes into us. That's the meaning of that term, of his fullness that we all receive. Sometimes, yes, miracles. Because the word becomes flesh and if God speaks it, then it will happen. But sometimes he gives grace and grace is enough. His grace is sufficient for us. Amen. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses' ministry brought knowledge of the law. Now, you know, sometimes, you know, because we love the grace of God, we can attack the law. The law also came from God, it had a purpose. Okay? The law came through Moses, but the law could only show us how sinful and broken we were. That was its purpose. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to bring us to grace. Amen. Jesus didn't only bring us truth, he also brought grace. Instead of simply telling us that we were broken, he came to fix us. Amen. What we could not do for ourselves, he did. That's grace. The law was sent, but grace came. 
What a difference that is. Grace came to us. God who came into this world, God who came to his own, God who comes to us and, and, and as many as receive and become the sons of God, when, when that happens, grace comes to us. And you know what, friends? He never leaves us. We were talking yesterday about how so often Christians can have an old covenant mentality. We can talk about God coming into our midst. God is in our midst. He never leaves us. He's, he's in you. He's in me. We are the temple of God. Amen? God doesn't come down. God doesn't come into the room. Uh, you know, the veil has been rent. Where, where you are, God is. Grace came to you, friends. He's never left you. Don't go by your feelings. Don't go by your circumstances. He's there 24-7. Grace came and he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here are some contrasts between law and grace. We know these well, but let's just refresh our, our, our memory. The law addresses us as members of the old creation, who we were in Adam. Grace makes us members of the new creation. That's why we, we can't go back under the law, because the law speaks to those in the old creation. But grace makes us members of the new creation. We're dead to the law. We're delivered from the law. We're standing in the grace of God. The law manifests what was in us. Sin. That was its job. That was its purpose. Grace manifests what's in God. His love. Stay focused on the grace of God. Law demanded righteousness from us. If you're going to save, be saved by your works, this is the standard. No one can do it. But grace gives us or imputes to us the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? Law sentences a living person to death, but grace brings a dead person to life. Hallelujah. Law speaks of what we must do for God, but grace tells us of what Christ has done for us. That's why we constantly focus on Jesus, constantly focus on his grace, because that's where we are. We're not old covenant people, friends. We're in the new covenant. Amen. Okay. As we just come to the last verse then this morning, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. See, in the past, God in the fullness of his glory was not manifested. No one had seen him. Even when they created, you know, they built the temple for him. This is what Solomon said. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. The King James Version says in thick darkness. The psalmist says clouds and darkness surround him. You can't see God. He's there, but you cannot see him. Under the law, God was not revealed. What, what could be known, uh, question, what could be known of a person who dwelt in thick darkness? Remember Moses in the mountain, he asked that noble question. Let me see your glory. The glory is the, the sum total of all the attributes of God. And he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make my goodness pass before you. That's your one aspect attribute and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion but he said you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live 
the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. What a graphic picture that is. God said, okay, just get, get there in the, in the cleft of the rock. He put his hand there and then he passed by. And as he passed by, he took his hand away and he just saw the back part of God. Just one tiny glimpse of the back part of God. That was the old covenant prince. But now we live in the full light of the dispensation of grace. Why? Because grace came. Grace came. The word became flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. All that we need to know about God we see in the face of Jesus Christ. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just keep looking at Jesus and you know what God is like. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Aren't you glad you're living in the new covenant? Amen. And the Bible says this, and we'll close with this thought. The Bible says that he who was in the bosom of the Father, the only begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father, he's the one that was sent from the very heart of God, from the very heart of God. Jesus came to us and he lives inside those who have received him by faith and he will never depart from us. What a wonderful, wonderful truth and reality that is. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you this morning for your precious word and we, we thank you, Lord God, that even though we have the general revelation of your existence, Lord, speaking to us day after day, there's nowhere where we can escape the goodness, the majesty, the love, the beauty of God in your creation. But oh Lord, we thank you for that special revelation that has come to us personally through your son, Jesus Christ, who now lives in us by the Holy Spirit. Emmanuel, God with us, God for us, right from the bosom, the heart of the Father into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we'll just continue to get an increasing revelation of your great love to us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.